One of them filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up on a reed stick so he could drink. That's our theme verse from Matthew chapter 27, verse 48 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar continues the series called Easter Artifacts. This week's episode, Symbols of Relief. Here's your spiritual practice this week. Write, Jesus died for me on a note card. Reflect on this truth throughout the week and ask God to show you what this means for your life. If you want to watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, search through our message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Easter Artifacts series. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. Nothing but the blood. How does that affect you? And how does the comment, Jesus, you are good? It's probably enough to worship with, isn't it? The blood of Jesus. Jesus, you are good. We return to our series, our Easter series that I have called Easter Artifacts. And today's message refers to and is titled Symbols of Relief. But let me say how, how good and refreshing and joyous it is to me to see more of you coming back on Sunday morning. Yes, it is. This title, Easter Artifacts, is really based on the, the essential belief, one of the essentials of our church's belief is that Scripture is not a collection of wise sayings by good men. It's, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit who moved through men and superintended, is a word often used theologically, to guide the writing. And the Holy Spirit guided the overall theme and subject, which is plenary inspiration, but the Holy Spirit also guided the individual words used. That's verbal inspiration. Now, the Holy Spirit didn't inspire English. He inspired the writing in Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New, and a little bit of Aramaic. But assuming and believing that the Spirit inspired it all, even, the, even precisely down to the words, we believe that everything that is mentioned in a passage, including those physical items referred to, were deliberately included by God's Spirit. So because of that, which, which implies there were some things deleted, some things omitted, not mentioned. So it behooves us to examine what's there for important information. So we reflect on these artifacts. An artifact is an object, most typically handmade, but could be one found in nature today they are, a couple of them are found in nature that is used for a particular function. It was usually in the far distant 
past, when you use the word artifact, you're talking about an archaeologist finding it. But that object and its use reveals information about the time or the situation in which it was utilized. So we're thinking about the spiritual meaning of physical objects. That's what it comes down to. That were employed in connection with the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus in these Easter messages. Today's theme, if you printed your outline or if you're using the resources on your phone, I've taken from Matthew 27 and I've edited it a bit. We will mostly be focusing on Matthew chapter 27. And verse 48 says, one of them filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up on a reed stick so he, that being Jesus, could drink. So the items included in today's passage are the reed, the sponge, and the wine, which I think express compassion for Jesus. We think of compassion from Jesus, but how often do we reflect on the humanity of Jesus? Compassion for Jesus is expressed in a number of of ways. First, concern about his rejection. Matthew 27, beginning at verse 45. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land. Now, the Greek word that's translated land in this new living could also be translated earth. Until three o'clock. This was not a natural occurring eclipse. It was the wrong time of the year. But because it could be translated earth, we don't know whether the darkness was local or universal. And what did it express? Well, you think about it. My, in my opinion, it expressed God's judgment against human sin. And, and the, the, the harshness of the moment when the wrath of God is poured out on that sin in the person of his son. And at verse 46, at about three o'clock, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned? Some of you may have a different word there. What word do you have? Forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in Mark, the Aramaic form of God's name, Eloi, is used. Well, why would God abandon his son? Doesn't that strike you as as very strange, as extreme, as harsh, as even unfair? Does it it strike you like that? Because I want us to question these things. You see, we believe them, but don't just skim over them. It's appropriate to pause and say, why would God abandon his son? His obedient son, his perfect son, his only begotten son. And this is the only time in the gospels when Jesus did not address God as father. 
Now Habakkuk 1.13 tells us that God's eyes are too pure to look on sin or evil. And Jesus became sin. Now I'm going to argue this to you and I want you to think about this. But 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us in the NIV that God made Christ to be sin. The New Century says God made Christ to become sin. Now there there are other translations and you may be holding one that, that more implied Jesus identified with our sin. But I don't think that. But you pray about it. You know, like I always tell you, if I say something, you consider it, you pray about it. And if God gives you a different word, you, di- you disregard my words. You see, that's about anything I ever say. But I believe Jesus actually became sin. Somehow, supernaturally, he internalized our individual personal sins. And he was punished for them. Look at 1 Peter. He personally carried our sins in his body. So it wasn't just something he thought about. It wasn't just something he imagined on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. And by his wounds, you are healed. But I want you to imagine the agony Jesus suffered when the father justly punished his son by abandoning him, forcing him to experience what? Separation, which is, which is hell. That's where Jesus experienced hell because hell in its, in its clearest definition in its most accurate definition, is separation from God. We have a lot of images of hell and as flames and sulfur and as an awful place, but we can easily miss that the essence of hell, the, the impact of hell, the pain of hell is separation from God. Jesus' anticipation of this excruciating separation was revealed when? You have to say it a little louder. At Gethsemane, precisely. Because he sweated great drops of blood in anticipation of becoming sin in anticipation of the punishment, which was a separation. Now, granted, the physical pain was terrible. But understand that tens of thousands of people suffered crucifixion. No one became sin as Jesus did. They, they had their own sin and he uniquely suffered. Jesus ceased to know the intimacy 
of fellowship with his heavenly father. Can you empathize? I say empathize because we, 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 we may not completely be able to feel it, but can you empathize with Jesus' rejection by his father? His agonizing abandonment. I mean, have you, have you ever suffered a time when you felt cut off from God? And, and it was like God wouldn't listen. God wouldn't respond. I feel separated. Remember that, that agony. And yet it was likely short-lived. I mean, what about when we feel rejection from someone on earth that we love? Someone we feel close to. I mean, I can tell you, I, can, I feel pain. I know y'all didn't think I had feelings, but I feel pain when, when my wife is upset with me, even though it's always my fault, <laughs> but it still hurts. It still hurts. Does the agony of Jesus affect us? Does separation from God frighten us? Compassion for Jesus is also expressed through caring about his suffering. I'm gonna flip over to John 19 for just a, a few verses. In verse 28, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. He fulfilled Psalm 69, 21. And then back to Matthew 27 at 47. Because you, you remember a couple of years ago, we, we studied a synthesis of all the gospels because it's, it's really pulling them all together to see the full picture. And so each one includes some items and omits some items. So that's why we'll jump a little bit from John to Matthew here. And at verse 47, it says, some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. They thought he was saying the Aramaic word Elias instead of Eloi, which was the spoken language of the Jews. Now, understand this. These, these bystanders were likely what nationality? Well, no, who crucified him? Rome. Who was standing around watching? Jews. Jews were standing around. Remember, they crucified people on the roadway because the crucifixion was a warning to people. Don't do this. Don't, don't commit this crime. And remember, as JC told us, they put the, the crime overhead. So they put this, the crucifixion occurred in very public places. So these were likely Jewish citizens watching this spectacle. And so they would know that Elijah was supposed to precede the arrival of the Messiah, Malachi 4, 5. 
Now, they may have not believed Jesus was the Messiah. Some may have thought he might really have been the Messiah. So perhaps they think he's calling Elijah. Verse 48, after he said, I'm thirsty, one of them, now this was likely a Roman soldier, ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. This was, this was cheap wine. It was diluted with water. Uh, it was a common drink for soldiers and for laborers. And holding it up to him on a reed stick. Now, John 19 tells us it was a hyssop branch. And that's a bush-like plant from the mint family. But some of you may have it in your yards. It, it has long stems and purple flowers. So this soldier took a, took a sponge, stuck it on, on the end of a, of a reed or a branch, dipped it in this wine, and held it up to Jesus' mouth. Now, there's some debate about this. Some commentators assert that this offer of this drink was, was to remedy some of Jesus' dehydration. Remember, he had been sweating, he'd been beaten, he had bled a lot considerably. And so by remedying or, or relieving his dehydration, it would prolong his life and lengthen his torture. So they saw it as really cruel. That's not what I see. I don't think so. I think this was an act of compassion. I think this soldier, you say, well, he's one of them that crucified him. I wonder how many men who even were forced to put people con considered criminals to death didn't have some sense of regret and guilt. I mean, I, I believe in the basic humanity of every person. I believe these very Roman soldiers possessed the image of God within them. I think it was an act of compassion, but you think about it, pray about it, consider it. But that's how I see it. It was an act of compassion offered by a merciful soldier to a suffering man, perhaps a man he had caused to suffer. Haven't you ever hurt someone and regretted it greatly? Afterward, it may have been some of that. So do we reflect on the willing suffering of Jesus? Not because we deserve it, but because of our sin, we desperately need it. Now's the time to, to reflect on our desperation and Christ's grace in offering himself. Verse 49. But the rest said, wait, to the soldier. Let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Mark says, to take him down. Now, do you think this was sincere or was it mockery? Some say mockery. Does anybody think sincerity or all of you think mockery? Could be. Could be. 
Now, remember what's going on though too. They had to be standing up very close to see anything because it's dark at midday. And so it certainly would have caused at least some of these Jews to think God is involved in this because there were numerous times in the prophets when darkness symbolized the judgment of God, the the presence and work of God. So some would have thought God was involved in this scene, but others would have just rejected it and just said, I don't know why it's dark and just moved on. And John 19 verse 30 says, when Jesus had tasted it, he said, Matthew 27 said, he shouted, which it would have required considerable strength. It is finished. So the, <laughs> I love that. I don't know where it came from, but I love that. Um, the work that his, his father sent him to complete for us, for us was accomplished. Then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. No one took Jesus' life. Jesus offered his life. He surrendered his spirit by an act of his own will. Do we care about Jesus suffering for our sakes? Think about this. Because see, this is the heart of the gospel. Does this stir us? Does it change us? Philippians 3.10, Paul writing, said, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And all of us want that. But look at this next part. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. I, 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 think, I think that's frightening to us, isn't it? What does it even mean? I've, I've you know, thought about this. What does it mean to suffer with Christ or like Christ? Do, do, we, do we want to suffer with Christ to know him better? You know, I, I think I've recently got a, just a small insight into the suffering of Christ. My two-month-old gra- grandson, Graham, had ports put in him for dialysis. And I pray for him, I, 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 I imagine touching his body, praying over him as I fast. And I, I, I think of him at, at night when I lay down. And if I wake up through the night, I, I always have a, another prayer on my lips. I have a, an, another prayer in the morning. And this throughout the day, um, he's, he's always with me um, and not in a light way. I feel the weight of what he's struggling with. And I just thought as I was studying this week, is this what the suffering of Christ felt like? And this would, this, in this way, 
Jesus died, but I think he died not, not with hatred for us, but, but, but feeling the struggle of our lives and where our lives were headed. And, you know, the Bible talks about sin like disease in us, doesn't it? And so my child, my daughter's child, but, but my child is what I feel. I can never not carry him. I think Jesus felt like that for us. I think when he stumbled under the weight of the cross, it was the weight of us. And he felt it. And it, it never left him. And only by death could he be relieved of some of what he was suffering as we suffered in ourselves. I don't think that's a perfect example. But it's been a, it's been a picture for me this week. And I'm sure you have a parallel. The suffering of Jesus is symbolized by the Lord's Supper. And so we go to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. And Paul writing, he said, when we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ. And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, and many more not in the room, we eat from one loaf. The disciples ate from one larger than this, but showing we are one body. And so I urge you to take your little cup and open just the top clear cellophane. Take out the little wafer. And so Paul said, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord Jesus himself on the night he was betrayed. Yeah, raise your hand if you need one. Kristen's coming down. I think ushers are. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces. They would break off and they would all share together and pass. And he said, imagine this is my body. They didn't know this would happen the very next day. And it's about to be, my one body is about to be torn to pieces. And I'm doing it for you. My body's given for you. Do this to remember me. And they ate. In the same way, he took the cup. There were four cups in the Passover meal. This was the third cup, the cup of redemption. And he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant 
between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Covenants were always confirmed through a sacrifice, through a cutting of a sacrifice. And so Jesus says, this agreement for God, his agreement to to forgive you is sealed when my body is torn. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. And then Paul closed, he said, for every time you eat this bread, every time you drink this cup, you are, and all of you have just done this, I have done this, you are announcing the Lord's death. We're announcing it to each other, but in our lives we announce it to this community until he comes again. So let's reflect on Jesus' sacrifice for us as Carly sings. Just a little bit of application and and then we'll close. Compassion for Jesus is expressed in us through us conveying his attitudes. Another, Another challenging passage, 1 Corinthians 2. For who can know the Lord's thoughts And who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things for we have the mind of Christ. Now, what does this mean? Well, having the mind of Christ doesn't just mean knowing and sharing his plan or his purpose or his perspective. This also is something that we possess by the presence of the Spirit. If the Spirit's in you, he brings along Jesus' way of thinking. And so possessing the mind of Christ is thinking, so I'm talking about thoughts, but I'm also talking about feelings and acting in the way Jesus would. When when we possess the mind of Christ, we will express his attitudes toward others. Paul also wrote this one in Philippians 1.8. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Do we express the compassion of Jesus, the sensitivity? I confess, sometimes I fail to. And you know what? I did that last week when I spoke of my brief um, experience with COVID-19 with not many symptoms And I think it implied that I didn't think it was serious. But I know that many of you have had very serious cases and some of you have lost loved ones. So I ask you to forgive me on that. That was thoughtless on my part. I don't think that no one has been sick. My wife has been sick. She had pneumonia as well. But but I didn't exercise the compassion, the sensitivity of Christ to care about other people's sufferings and concern. What we know about Christ should cause us, compel us to experience what people are experiencing. Do we desire to connect with others? Boy, particularly now in this, in in our culture when it's so fragmented, do we desire to reach people who feel 
alienated, who feel separated? Do, do we want to know the thoughts and feelings of others? Romans 12 says this, be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. That applies to all of us, including me for sure. Am I concerned, are you concerned with creating harmony in our body, in our community? Or are we trying to make sure we only associate with people we agree with? There's no place for that, for separating from people with different opinions. In this church, you know, we, we agree about the identity of Christ, the inspiration of scripture, the way of salvation, the path of spiritual growth, the, the fact that God still speaks and acts miraculously. And boy, well, I'm praying for that for my, my grandson and a dear friend was telling me how she was praying and God was speaking to her and he's speaking to us. And the dignity of every person because every person possesses the image of God, even if their opinions differ from yours. There are differences in this church. There's some theological differences, which is one of the greatest strengths of this church is that we can have unity within diversity. There's not strength when everybody looks just alike, thinks just alike, acts just alike. What does that require? So we need to have agreement on some, on some essentials, a few, but non-essential essentials. There's some freedom that rarely cause conflict. But in, but in where we are today, there are political and cultural issues and uh, the, the election, the virus, the mass, the vaccines, where there's much disagreement. Two, every two people, there, you can find places of disagreement. But the cross gives us unity. The cross harmonizes us. So, so it's, it, it's okay to have disagreements. It's not okay to be disagreeable, but, but we need to be able to say, tell me what you think. Help me understand. What, why do you disagree? What do you think? And we need to be able to have that. And if we can love people, we can love people who think differently. And then we can have some dialogue, some exchange, some prayer. You know, I tell you all the time, if you hear me say something, anything, consider it, go to the Bible, pray about it, disregard it if it doesn't line up with your spirit. Differences don't have to cause division if we will be controlled by the mind of Christ. And you have the mind of Christ, the one who died for you, who had one body. We are one body. So guess what? We can't get away from each other. That's right. And convey that attitude to each other. Folks, even among Jesus' disciples, if you read the gospels closely, there were many different opinions. They differed on how to relate to the Romans, on how to the attitude to have toward the Jewish religious leaders, even how to treat the Jewish people. He was always, they were always discussion. He was always redirecting, rebuking. So it's okay. 
We don't have to all agree. You don't have to agree with me, but we have to be agreeable. We want unity. That doesn't mean uniformity of opinion. It means unity in the cross of Jesus Christ who died so we could have harmony. Colossians 3. Be happy with the, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. And he did. You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. And let's don't be so quick to jump to offense. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. If we are willing, God's spirit will make us able to treat each other this way. And it'll be attractive to people that don't know Christ and are looking for a place to fit. Are you willing? Answer me. Let's do it, y'all. Let's do it. Counselors will be here. They'll be at the Care Connection Room. Let me urge you. Invite someone to an Easter service. And it's even better if it's someone who doesn't look like you, act like you, or think just like you. Let's begin to show what harmony in the church through the death and resurrection of Christ really can look like. I'm proud of you. I know of no people that are more accepting. Now let's reach out. Father, we thank you for this word. Encourage us by it. Give us peace and hope. But Lord, give us a deep desire to reach people on your account. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. And thanks for listening. Have a great Easter week.